in our study through systematic theology, which I think, I hope, at least if nothing else, we've come to the point where uh, the term theology is not an, an evil, spiteful word or legalistic or whatever you want to name people have put on it over the years. Um, <clears throat> but I'm going to start out by just very briefly going through and looking at most of these verses but I want to say the, there's various views of, in, of inspiration out there. And I just want to just, just let you be aware of them. And I'm not going to deal with the wrong views at any great length, other than perhaps just basically read the definition, look at some passages that debunk those theories, and then just move into the correct view of inspiration. I'd rather spend the bulk of our time on truth as opposed to error. So... <clears throat> The views of inspiration, and there's handouts on the back table. Um, The dictation theory. This view suggests that God gave the human writers the precise words to write. And then these were merely instruments in in God used like... That didn't come out right. These are merely instruments that that God used like a pen to put his words on paper. Okay, now... First point I want to make on that is there are instances where God did, in fact, dictate the exact words to write. And I'm going to give two examples, but that is not the norm for the bulk of Scripture. Okay? Let's look at Exodus 34. This would be a good practice today to get to know where all your books of the Bible are. So we'll start with an easy one. I say easy because everybody knows Exodus is the second book, right? Right after Genesis? <laughs> Revelation is a good one, too. Just, it, you know, just back up through your concordance, you know. <laughs> Exodus 34, uh, 27 and 28. Then the, <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you, And with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights and and did not eat or bread or drink water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And this would be the account of the second. um, Remember he he broke the first set of tablets? This is the second set of tablets right here. Now, uh, our old friend Revelation that we uh, you probably miss so much. I'm, going, I'm not turning there, because I'm actually going to be looking at some of these passages in the next session. Okay? So I'll just... But you know the letters to the seven churches. Right. And he wrote exact words to, to write. And then the bulk of the... And there are a few other places in there where he says, write this, write that. But even in the book of Revelation, um, <clears throat> that was given to him through dreams, visions, and also um, an angel in those dreams speaking to him. Speaking to John. So, now, and then the second point here, if the entire Bible were direct dictation, there would, there would be only one style and one consistent vocabulary from Genesis through Revelation. If it was just, if that's all it was. Okay? There would be no individuality of the human writer's language and style, but just the opposite is seen in the, in the text of Scripture. Just the opposite. You, you can see there... Uh, you can see the individual personalities of, of Peter, Paul, 
you know, James, John, Moses. You, know, you, can, you can see their different styles of writing. Now let's look at, we're, we're here at Exodus, let's look at Deuteronomy 3.23-25. to 25. So watch yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he had made with you, and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commandment. And I'm in Deuteronomy 4. Just want to see if you're paying attention. Okay. Three. Yeah, that wasn't dictated. <laughs> Just to prove my point. I was waiting for you to catch that. But Deuteronomy 3.23. I also pleaded with the Lord. This is Moses talking. I also pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, O Lord God, you have made a... You have begun to show the servant the greatness in your strong hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works as mighty as yours. Okay, so that is it. Uh, he's, re- he's recounting to the people. Because remember, what's Deuteronomy? That was basically Moses' final speech to the nation just prior to them entering into the promised land, of which you, obviously he didn't get to go. Romans 9, 1 through 3. And again, this would not be something God would dictate to, you know, to anybody, really, where it says, Paul, obviously, writing here, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And again, see, something like that is not going to, you know, write this. What, what would you, but in the natural flow of inspiration where uh, we'll see more next time where these writers are moved along, they, their experiences just wove, just weave right into the scripture and add emphasis to the, to the biblical narrative and to the point being made. Now, see, one of, the two, one of the weaknesses of the dictation theory is that people that hold to that, if you ever got in any kind of a debate with anybody that knows anything about the texts of Scripture, whether Old or New Testament, they would slice and dice you. <laughs> they would, they would, you would just be destroyed. You're, you would just be zero credibility all of a sudden. And it wouldn't take long to anybody that knows anything. It wouldn't take long at all. Another thing, too, that's what the, um, the, uh, <clears throat> the Muslims say about the Quran, And that's why they say that the Quran is superior. Because it was dictated to Muhammad. Blah, 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 blah. No. Yeah, it, well, I don't know where he got it, but it wasn't dictated from God, that's for sure. You know, dictated from someone perhaps, but not God. And so they say that, and people that talk to them, people that debate them, which I've, I've listened to a few debates, Christian versus Islam, and in the debates, guys points it out in their own text. Well, why is this a discrepancy if it was dictated? See, and uh, so you got them. I mean, they, they got them. And so anybody that, so with the scripture, the same thing would happen. Only with scripture, there's a lot more to lose. This is the word of God. We want to properly present it. Then there's the partial or conceptual theory. And this view teaches that God gave the writers of the Bible general ideas or impressions and that they wrote these impressions in their own words 
the proponents of this view say that, that this is why the Bible contains so many mistakes. Well, whoa, we know where this one comes from, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, these are people that are quite frankly rejecting the truth of Scripture, especially those truths that hit home to them. And so they just kind of write that, well, you know, these guys meant well, but they kind of ran off. And like, especially when you get into subjects for a long time, like, um, <clears throat> you know, Paul writing in Romans 1, 18 to 32, which has a lot of <laughs> use for us today, 1 Corinthians 6, um, those passages that start talking about sin and avoiding sin, and especially when they're, uh, when so many are promoting those sins that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is condemning. Okay? And uh, so they say, and I'm, you hear this statement all the time, well, I don't, didn't, you know, these are religious people. These are, these are preachers. Uh, a lot of them, like Episcopalians, your, your lefty uh, Presbyterians, and some of those groups, lefty Baptists. There's a lot of groups out there that say, well, I don't always agree with Paul. Well, then you don't always agree with Scripture. Okay, and that's the bottom line. And that's the bottom line. Look at Psalm 119. <clears throat> I'll just give everybody a little bit of a heads up for this for our summer reading. Psalm 119 <laughs> was selected. So every every Sunday you'll get two letters of the Hebrew alphabet worth. <laughs> which is six, about 16 verses. And we're just going to go through, read Psalm uh, 119 throughout this. That'll take our summer reading time, and then we'll move on to other things. Or perhaps some uh, fine upstart pastor will show up and have his own uh, stuff he wants to read. That's fine. <laughs> but for now, what, Psalm 119. So Psalm 119, 41 and 43 says, May thy loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to, what? Your word. So I shall have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And that, see that? I'll have an answer to them who reproaches me. Where's that answer? In the word of God. And then we just, were, while we're there, verse 160. And again, this whole psalm is just making the case for us believers to stay in the word read the word learn the word and then <clears throat> and for the re- and for the same reason we're learning theology so it's not that we become the smartest kids on the block it's so that we can better know and serve our god that's the whole purpose of this if it's just it's not just to get smart you guys are already smart right you know it's that we know more and can take it out there we we learn and I'll tell you, um, one fellow said it well. He says, um, the more we know our God, the more we're going to love him and want to serve him. And that's really the truth. That's really the truth. If we're just memorizing a bunch of facts and figures, well, then it becomes legalism. That doesn't benefit anybody. And then verse 160 says, the sum of thy word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. And boy, does, that, that says it. That says it. And then the Gospel of John 17, 17. And in there, that's that, that great high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed to God in front 
of, at that point in time, the 11. Okay, Judas being gone by this time. But John 17, 7, praying for his disciples. As a matter of fact, I'm going to back it up and pick up more of the context. Um, <clears throat> let's pick it up in verse 13. But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the, in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. That's, a, that's the prayer for the apostles. And by extension, to all of us. Really, really true, to all of us. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil, or the evil one. And again, that prayer is for ourselves. That's a prayer that we should probably pray for each other, that, Lord, keep us from the evil one. Because the evil one is extremely active in our day and age, unless you haven't noticed. Okay? He's everywhere. He's in the, he's in the schools. He's, he's in the churches. He's, he's everywhere. You know, um, <clears throat> verse 16, they, that's the apostles, are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify. Uh, from the root hagias means separate them, keep them separated. It's the same word for holy. So that, that word is translated holy as in Holy Spirit. You know, sanctify them, keep them holy. You set them apart in your truth. It, it, the word works for both instances. Um, and then, and then of course, there's a strong, there's biblical warnings all over the place. Let's back up again to Deuteronomy. Now that we know where it is, right? Deuteronomy, uh, you guys did yesterday, so that's good. The biblical warning, and there is many of these, but um, we'll start with Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, where it says, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Just don't mess with the word of God. And then uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 32, it says similarly, Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away from it. I mean, that, especially in studying and stuff, I, I take that very seriously. It's like in last week's handout, I wrote in their Hebrews, uh, a verse out of Hebrews, and I left the word out. I, I, I noticed it when I was reading it. Oh, I felt terrible because that's an, that's, it's, it was an unintentional messing with the word of God, and I, I hate doing that. So, I mean... I promise I will try. It'll never happen again. But so, if you still keep those handouts, go back into Hebrews and make your correction. <laughs> you know, like I say, I just I feel awful even doing it by mistake. I mean, that's how it's so important the, the truthfulness of this word must be kept. It's got got to be kept by anybody that ever even thinks, especially thinks about teaching. If that isn't foremost, don't teach, please. <laughs> We've we have enough problems. No, <laughs> but. Seriously, I mean, that's something that 
is just to willfully and knowingly tamper with the word of God, quite frankly, is inexcusable. Inexcusable. And unfortunately, it happens all the time. People play fast and loose and freewheeling with the words like, oh, well, you know, and they start putting things in the white spaces that aren't there. No, don't ever do that. Not even with children. You're not helping them either. Okay, Jeremiah 26, 1 and 2 saying, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord saying, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah who have come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I have commanded you to speak to them. And look what he says. Do not omit a word. As a matter of fact, I, I, after reading that, maybe can you hand back those from last week? I'll make new ones. No, but seriously, you know, do not omit a word. And that tells you something, too, about we're going to look at it, um, about verbal inspiration. Every single word in this book is important because every single word in this book is from God. So when we read the word, it's God speaking to us. And therefore, we must not remove or add anything to this word. And then all the way back to Revelation 22, a passage I won't be dealing with this morning other than just reading it later. Like the message for this Sunday morning is going to be... uh, Uh, along the line of uh, what's written in in 22, uh, 10 through the 21. And um, there's several warnings sprinkled throughout here. And it says, uh, verse 18 and 19 says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And you remember the plagues that are written in this book. That's nothing you want. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part in the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. And that's another way of saying, that, that, that statement is another way of saying, anyone who tampers with the word of God is obviously not a believer. Therefore, you will not be in the, uh, in the tree. You will have no access to the tree of life. From the, you will not have. You will not be in the holy city because, because that there's a city. If that's talking about the New Jerusalem, remember we studied that the the New Jerusalem that's on the new on the new earth, and only believers are even alive at that time, let alone there. That's it. Everybody else is gone. See, that's after the Great White Throne. Everybody. So we're only talking about a time where only believers are going to be there, and so. That's what that's saying. And, and again, we have to look. When you look at a book like Revelation, it's written, well, we're going to see, it, it was written like around 95 A.D., but this book, because, let's face it, the not only are the new heaven and new earth still out there a ways, the millennial kingdom is still out there a ways, the tribulation period is still out there a ways. It may not be a long way, but they're all out there ahead of us yet. They're not, you know... We could be close. It could be another hundred years, a thousand years. Who knows? This is all on God's timing. You know, we may wake up, we may find out one day that we're actually living in the primitive church. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to be presumptuous. I mean, like a lot of people run, oh, the Lord's coming. Look at the signs. Look at the signs. You can't say that unless you got some, did you get some special revelation that I missed? <laughs> I mean, you know. I have a yes. About adding to the book, that, isn't that the entire 
Well, it definitely refers to the book of Revelation, but we've seen that principle refers from Genesis all the way through the end. We saw it in Deuteronomy. We saw it in Jeremiah. That, and if you, if you add to uh, Revelation, you're adding to the Bible, right? Because right? it was the very last book written. Um, like the Book of Mormon. No, 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 no. That's a, that's a pretty pathetic addition, quite frankly. But, but see, that's an addition. But what they're talking about is something like, well, we'll get into it later on in this, in, in our uh, class about this Bible, is that like some of those supposed lost books of the Bible, those, that would be a classic example of somebody adding. Books that were, we could find out it's basically a bunch of Gnostic nonsense that popped up in the second, third century. But, you know, it's just wild. Okay. We good with conceptual, partial, that the Bible just kind of a, threw out happy thoughts and people kind of ran with them? No, that, that doesn't work. Now we got the natural theory of inspiration. Now this one says that the writer's inspiration came from within themselves. In the same way a composer or a painter is inspired. You know? It's like, you know, like Shakespeare was inspired, so he wrote a couple of sonnets. You know? And, and there is a sense in the English language, we use it that way, but that's not the biblical uh, definition of inspiration at all. I just felt like I, you know, that's, that's not what it means. We're going to get to the meaning here shortly. But um, the uh, Bible claims to, <clears throat> the Bible claims uh, to divine authorship debunks this theory. Example, uh, Proverbs 30, that's a good one, Proverbs 30. Here is one that I'm quite sure, uh, although, Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And based upon that statement, look what the next statement is. Do not add to his words, lest he reprove you and you be proved a liar. You be proved a liar. Okay? Um, And those who add to Scripture are liars. Because they add to Scripture, then try to pass that off as the Word of God. They are liars. If it's a paraphrase to hopefully better explain what the text is actually saying, I would say that's okay. Um, But just... If I ever paraphrase something, I always like to identify it as a paraphrase. You know, it could, it means kind of like this. And you give like an example of what it means, just for the sake of uh, clarity. Because uh, there's some really, uh, in our English language, some strange sounding things. Especially when it's translated from either the, you know, the, this Bible is either translated from the ancient Hebrew, Chaldean, Greek. And sometimes it doesn't translate real clearly. And so... And that's where some of these free, free translations I don't care for because they run around, run amok, and some of them just kind of wander off a little bit. You know, I know, I know there's some of that in, in, like in the NIV has some of that. So that's why it's not my favorite, even though it's easier to read. Another thing you might, might kind of file this as a, maybe like a rule to live by, because a translation of the Bible is easy to read, 
doesn't mean it's a better translation. It just means it's easier to read. <laughs> That's all. It doesn't mean doesn't make it more accurate. Okay. Like the Living Bible, that that's a good example. However, I have to admit, I didn't stay and spend a lot of time of it, but it was for what it was. The man that translated, I forget who he was. He did it mainly for his kids, young little kids, that they could read it. And it was actually pretty accurate for what it was. But I definitely wouldn't want it as a teaching Bible from here or in there. If got how does it, how do the various translations harmonize with what we're talking about? I'm like not adding or changing. These are translations. What's being spoken of by, you know, um, <clears throat> do not add to the words. We're talking about the original autographs, like um, the Greek manuscripts. And we've got enough Greek manuscripts for the New Testament, for example, that um, um, <clears throat> show that we were these uh, scholars that go into this. They're pretty con- con- convinced right now that. 99 plus percent of everything in terms of the Greek manuscripts, everything that they have in those Greek manuscripts is what was found in the original autographs written by, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the rest of them. Okay, so that's good. So with that being true, then you, you take the translation of that. Now what you're looking for in, say, like the New American Standard, for example, is a very good word-for-word translation. ESV's not too bad either. I I still prefer the the New American, but that's just me. Um, But anyway, uh, those are deemed to be accurate, but it's still, and I find them in the New American and other places, but me, for example, as a teacher, I, I check those things out in my weekly study. I'll sometimes, depending on the text, I have actually gone through each and every word sometimes to figure out, okay, is this the right word? Is this the right word? Is this the right word? And then you, you know, talk about, okay, how about tense, mode? I mean, mm, to get it right, especially when you get into something that's technically a technical type verse, you don't want to mess that up because you can, you can, it can veer you off. So, so even, you know, in, in translating the correct Greek text, for example, we must take care, must take care in that we're translating it correctly. And we're, we're basically checking on the people that translated whatever version you're using. And that's just part of the study. That's, just part, that's, that's part of the study. It has to be done. It just, it's plain and simple. You just got to do that. <laughs> okay. Did that answer your question, my dear? <laughs> well, if you're happy, I'm happy. That, and that's, that, that is how it should be. Second Timothy. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a long ride home. No, I didn't. No, no just kidding. <laughs> Second Timothy 3.16. This is kind of like the, the poster verse for the scripture. And um, one we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And they say, well, why would that be so? Well, verse 17, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. He uses the man of God in there because 
Paul is specifically writing this personal letter to Timothy, who he's just about ready, who's getting ready, who's going to be handing the baton off to, say, I'm out of here. Take it and run, Timothy. So that's why there. But that truth applies. I don't care if you're male or female. And that's the only two I recognize. Those. I know how politically incorrect of me. But, <laughs> you know, hey, I took, I took biology in high school. I know. You can't fool me. And then Second Peter, another Stallworth passage. Second Peter chapter 1. 20 and 21. It says, For after they have... Uh, <clears throat> but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. In other words, it's not a matter of one's own interpretation. So, like that theory, um, the... Natural, <laughs> that is a total debunk of the natural. It's not from within man. It does, has, this word does not have its origin in man. It has its origin with God, specifically the Holy Spirit. Within man, you'll find a sinful heart. <laughs> and so if you leave it up to man to come up with the Holy Scriptures or any kind of it, well, you'll, you'll wind up with an unholy scripture because we'll look in man's writings. What do you got? Man making excuses for their sin. We've got man right now promoting sin. And if you promote righteousness, you're the evil one. We're in an Isaiah 5 world where, you know, they're, they're calling good bad and they're calling bad good. I mean, that, that's the kind of world we're living in right now, you know. And, um, and that's why it, it's very important. Now that for a lot of us, I think, I mean, even, even a lot of folks that aren't Bible-believing Christians understand this multi-gender thing is a lot of nonsense. Even, even many of them know it. Uh, and even many of the corporations know it, but are afraid to say so, so they back it anyway. Okay, I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm retired, because I think if I was still working, I'd just liable to find myself fired. I really would. I, I mean, I came close a couple of times, but, you know... It, and not for doing lousy work, but for uh, speaking up for, shall we say. But, hey, I look at it this way. This is, this is a biblical truth. I'm not, I'm not backing off. I'm not backing off. I'm not supporting that. That's, no, we've, they've, uh, they've crossed my line. Let's just put it that way. That's, that's it. That's it. It does. It does. And, um, hey, if one of these days they want to come here and lock up the church because we're preaching this, Sunday morning in my house, let's go. We're, we're still going to have Sunday morning. It's just, no, this ain't, it's like old Perot used to say, this dog won't hunt. <laughs> Some of you remember him, probably some who? <laughs> you can remember him. He's a crazy guy. Anyway. It's fun, though. All right. Now, the biblical view of inspiration, which is verbal and plenary. Now, verbal means the Holy Spirit so guided the writers that even their choice of individual words conformed to God's intended meaning. That's it. 
And that really covers the next one, plenary, where it says all of scripture, not just certain books or portions of books or certain types of material, is inspired. Example uh, uh, of those that um, don't hold this, like remember the Samaritans, they only accepted the Pentateuch, which is the five books of Moses. That's it. They didn't accept anything else. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw them in there just to let you be familiar with the words, and that's all I want to do. Just the verbal is the big one. Let's face it. If every word's inspired, every book is. I mean, let's face it. So we've got it. Now, the doctrine of inspiration. What is it? Well, the doctrine of inspiration teaches that all Scripture is from God. Scripture did not originate within the mind, heart, soul, or imagination of men apart from God. It was God who supernaturally caused these men to accurately record his words. That's it. To me, I, I couldn't think of any better way to explain it. I think that's it. That's it. You know, it's, it's all God. It's all God. And um, again, all the more reason as we turn to second, back to Second Timothy that, you know, it, because of what it is, it demands our utmost attention and diligence when we go to it. And hey, let's face it, every, every time, you know, say we're going to be reading from the letter to, second, to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, we are reading a letter from God that goes beyond Timothy to all of us, to all of us. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, again, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. What does all that mean? Well, all scripture is inspired, and that's the one, that's what I want to look at today. When were they known to be scripture? I believe so, and that's something we will be addressing. Yes, I believe they knew what they were writing. I, I certainly believe that. And let's see. Let's. Uh, we've got time, and I think we're going to. We're going to. We're going to. Uh, matter of fact, we're going to see a little example. Of that. We're going to go into that a lot next week, but we're going to touch on it this week. All scripture, all the word, and this is directly right. This is a transliteration. Anybody know what that is? Mm-hmm. Taking the Greek word and making it, putting the Greek letters into English letters so you keep somewhat the pronunciation and the, the correct letters. So all, pasa, it's not Spanish like que pasa, no. This is all, <laughs> it's pasa. If, if, that's assuming I'm pronouncing it right, but hey, I wasn't, I'm old, but I wasn't there in the first century, so I'm not 100% sure. All, pasa, means all or every. Scripture, graphi, literally means that which is written. In the New Testament, it is used for the scripture in part or in its entirety. We got two examples we can find right there in Mark 12. And that's a place we were at not too long ago. Again, again, the word graphi, scripture, translated scripture, is used in of specific passages and also for the Bible in general. Mark 12:10 says Remember when he was uh, going head to head with the uh, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees? Have you not read even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Okay, right there and then we'll just keep going. This came about from the Lord 
as it is a mar it is marvelous in our eyes. So what did he do? He quoted right out of scripture to these guys, um, <clears throat> right out of Psalm 118 to be specific, to his critics, and I forget right now which one was, the scribes or Pharisees this time. This was a, a parable. Okay, okay. Anyhow, and then move forward to uh, 1224, verse 24 of the same chapter. Here he's quoting a verse. And here in verse, uh, and then Mark 12, 24 says, Jesus said to them, Is it not the reason you are mistaken that you do not understand the scriptures, plural, or the power of God, referring to all of scripture? And at that time, this, that would be a reference to the Old Testament, seeing that the New Testament wasn't written when he was, when Jesus was speaking. Okay? So, so there's a good testimony from Jesus concerning the Old Testament. We will have more and more specific ones too next week. Um, <clears throat> now, and then the word inspired by God, which, which, which is translated in this, and some of you have God breathed already in your translations, which is better. Inspired by God is theonostos, meaning God breathed. That's the literal, that's the to me, that should be that would be my preferred translation for the English because that's exact. That's what I mean. It's a it's a compound word, you know, theonustos. The first part theo from theos meaning God, and uh, nustos from pneuma, which means uh, spirit or breath. All right. So you put them together, you've got God and breathe. Now, here's a question. That people, and that this should answer Jackie's question. Does Second Timothy three sixteen apply only to the Old Testament? I have heard it both ways. Let's look at look at that. Let's let's look at the scripture. Then you can make up your own. I won't influence you. Let's. This is how this kind of thing is done. Now check the immediate context of Second Timothy three. Second uh, Timothy, this three sixteen. Well, let's let's broaden it out a little bit. Let's begin at verse thirteen. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now that looks familiar. You, however, he's talking to him. Now you, however, and this is to all of us. This you, this this message you pass that through to every one of us here, because we are living in just that kind of time. You, however, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings. That's another term for the scriptures. In this direct context, we're talking Timothy as a kid. We're talking Old Testament. Just keep reading. Which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then we go on, all scripture is inspired by God and proper teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate. Adequate doesn't mean just, yeah, just passable. Adequate means you're ready to go. You are ready to go. You're adequate. You're adequate. You're equipped. Not just like adequate sometimes. Well, adequate, like you just barely make the grade. No, this is beyond that. Equipped for every good work. So right there. Some might say, well, see, right there in the immediate context, that's, you know, just maybe, just maybe it does just mean the Old Testament. Because they're saying, well, because, you know, the, the New Testament wasn't thorough, f- fully written yet. 
Well, let's look at the context within the writings of Paul. We don't have to go far. Let's look back in 1 Timothy 5.18. This is Paul's first letter to Timothy. The elders who rule well, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Verse 18 then goes on, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now those are two quotes. The you shall not muzzle the ox is quoted from Deuteronomy 25.4. We won't go there. However, the laborer is worthy of his wages is a direct quote from Luke 10, verse 7. But don't take my word for it. Let's go take a look. Luke 10.7. Jesus is speaking. And say in that house... And stay in that house. He sent the 70 out. And when you go into town, you know, people invite you. Yeah, stay in the house. Um, And stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. If you find a good place, especially if they've got a good cook, you know. No, but stay there for the laborer is worthy of his wages. And, And when Jesus making that statement, he was not quoting the Old Testament. Okay. Um, and by Paul quoting Luke, who was one of his companions. Remember that? Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and perhaps something else. So right there. And then you look at the context of the New Testament, even broader. Let's broaden it out some more. So we've already seen the context within Paul, that it stretches back to what Christ said um, in another book, of, the New, of another New Testament book that Paul deemed as scripture, or he wouldn't quote it. Right? And so now let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3, 13 through 16. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We just saw that a few weeks ago. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. That's how we should apply all that stuff we learned about our future, the new heaven, new earth. We're looking for that to come. Yeah, that's our future. So in the meantime, we want to <clears throat> show ourselves to be diligent to be in peace and spotless. I mean, sin-free. And regard, verse 15, regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. In verse 16, here's the, here's the key verse here for this. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of, of, the, of these things in which are some things hard to understand. I mean, yeah, you go through Romans, there's some very difficult passages. Romans has some difficult passages. Ephesians has some difficult passages. Very difficult passages. You know, which are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort. Hello. As they do also the rest of of the scriptures to their own destruction. So here Peter is, is, is pointing to Paul's writings as being scripture. And I think the answer to the question, too, is does 2 Timothy apply? Well, first of all, 
My conclusion, the bottom of the page, 2 Timothy 3.16, is a theological statement of fact that applies to all scripture in both Old and New Testament. And also, I think that answers the question, well, did the New Testament writers understand they were writing scripture? My answer to that is I believe, yes, they did. Uh, well, well some, some just say, and it's, it's more a matter, and these aren't heathens that are saying this. It's more of a matter that they feel because that they, their context is too narrowed and because the canon of Scripture was not completed, they say, well, that's obvious. it's an obvious example to the, of the Old Testament because the New Testament, well, <clears throat> my answer to that statement is it's not as obvious as you evidently thought. And that's where a little more homework would have uh, saved them from that uh, unknown embarrassment. <laughs> well, when it says all scripture, I mean, that's, a, that's why I called it a theological statement applying to all scripture. If it's scripture, it's inspired by God. Next question. I mean, that's how I look at it. I think you're looking at it the same way. Yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing what turns out to be controversy in the wonderful world of a biblical exposition. <laughs> Well, that's one of the reasons we we felt it would be beneficial to just take the word dispensational out of our statement of faith because that can cause confusions because there are the hyper-dispensational out there. Well, another thing that they'll do is like the hypers. They'll uh, say, well, like the Sermon on the Mount actually only applies to those saints that are going to be in the millennium. Boy, there's a lot of richness being lost to to this age if you believe that. So anyway, good conversation. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. And we thank you, Lord, that your, that your word is understandable. And, Lord, we, we do. We just pray that we are faithful in our personal studies. And again, Lord, we just, just thank you for giving us this word and the ability to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen.